Some say, Andrew, we keep the best to last on a Monday. Mm. The Courier-Mail's chief sports writer in Robert Crash Craddock. Crash, good morning. <laughs> Very much. And we keep him the best to last. <laughs> a, um, he's there because we can hear a, um, someone over the speaker there in the background. Do we have you, Robert? You certainly have. Thank you, Paul. It's a little bit of a cluttered system here, but here we go. No, nice to hear you, boys. Uh, yeah, we thought you might have been shaking hands with Ben Stokes. <laughs> I tell you what, he deserved it, didn't he? Wasn't a beautiful measured innings by Ben Stokes um, to get England home in the World Cup. Very few players can play that sort of innings, and I just think that uh, he does it about once every couple of years. That that Ben Stokes only, as NASA Hussain said, it's Ben Stokes. It's always Ben Stokes. That's what he said in the commentary, and uh, I just think it's it, he never looks rushed, does he? It always looks attainable, no matter what the run rate. Yeah, we'll probably get into that in a bit more detail, Crash, but uh, first here, underrated and overrated. Yes, Andrew. Well, I think underrated is Michael Nisa, mm. uh, for me, the Queensland fast bowler who's assembling an extraordinary record, really, uh, this season. He's averaging 11 per wicket and uh, averaging 47 with the bat. Now, they're mm. outrageous figures for 24 wickets, I think he's got in the Sheffield Shield, which is just, you know, wonderful. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, he's just having a, the, walking with the gods of cricket at the moment is Michael Nisa. So it's a, it's a great effort. He joins us regularly on the show, Crash, and he's one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet as well. Yeah, he is. And I feel sorry for him because with Cameron Green there, he can't get in that Australian team. And it's always hard fitting a bowling all-rounder into your team. Batting all-rounders are fine. You know, if you can bat and bowl that, that you can, you've got six places. But a bowling all-rounder must replace a bowler, and that's so hard to do. His batting average floats in the mid-20s, so he can't get in the top six in a team. So he has to be either number eight, nine, ten, or eleven, or take, or make the wicketkeeper bat six or eight. So they're so hard to fit into a test team. I'm so glad he got that test last year. Well, and didn't look out of place in that test. Uh, that, that's the issue, Crash. So he's ready to go if, in fact, a, a spot comes up. It's just a matter of a spot coming up. Was devastated when he was dropped, wasn't he? Mm. And uh, But, look, if Cameron Green, if something happened to him right here, right now, they've got this choice between Mitchell Marsh and Michael Nisa, and, and on form, it's Michael Nisa. Mm. Good point. Crash. Sorry, Paul, you go. Uh, that, that was your underrated. What about your overrated? Overrated, uh, two things. Um, first is the, the feeling that T20 batting wickets have got to be really bat-friendly. I so disagree. I feel yeah. this World Cup has shown us another way that when you've got life in the deck, you've got spark and you've got... It's it's wonderful, you know? Um, last night, they were chasing one th just over 130 for victory, and it was a terrific game. Yeah. And, and, and when Ben Stokes hit the occasional boundary, there was a thunderclap of emotion because it really meant so much, you know? But um, so I just think uh, the theory that they've got to be just cement roads, I disagree. And the other one is um, I just feel that there's a disconnect with the Wallabies. Like that loss to Italy over the weekend would normally be water cooler conversation. I barely heard a word about it over the weekend. And that was, that's what worries me, that the Wallabies have slid out of the public consciousness, that their people aren't talking about their, their, their losses overseas. I mean, like, sometimes a big loss can be far more interesting than a, than a big win, and to lose to Italy for the first time, whereas it worries me more that there was less chatter about it than the loss itself. 
Well, I remember that crash. Remember when Broncos were going through that phase. Must have been at the end of Anthony Seabold's uh, uh, time at the Broncos. And the same deal. People weren't caring about whether they lost uh, no. uh, for an administrator or a club or yeah. a country. Yeah. Once you start not caring, that's real uh, danger, danger signs for the code or for the club. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, it just, there's a certain expectation that they're going to lose. And, mm. and, and that's just, I just, gee, I feel the, you know, and, and I'm not being harsh here. I, I went to a rugby school growing up and so did you, Andrew. Mm. You went to BBC. We're in, it's ingrained in us that to follow the Wallabies. Well, it's not easy to do now. There's a lot of changing faces. You could barely name the back. You could barely name many or any players you know uh, and so it's that's that's the worry for me that they're fading from public consciousness mm. and i don't think they're going to be getting any better anytime soon crasher no no that, that that's the thing i mean you know uh they're ranked number seven in the world and that's about that's that's a hundred percent fair rating that's it, it probably about, is now what did mm. you make of the uh, the world cup final well, I just thought it was a really good World Cup. I really did. There's a lot of things Australia can learn from England, you know. Uh, choose T20 specialists. You know, England had only a couple of guys in there that are in the test team. You know, they, they you know, there was no Broad, no Anderson. A lot of these guys, uh, you know, they went for the, the for the younger, pacey, you know, Sam Curran and, and, and players like that. But they went for lively T20 specialists. They batted down to number 11. Um, I just thought the whole thing was a rage, was a really good success. Watching the Pakistan bowlers swing the ball last night and beat the bat four times out of six in one over was incredible. It was wonderful, you know. And, and, and you know, this was a tournament where the min minnows rose and beat the big teams. I mean, England were far from convincing. They just beat Afghanistan. They just beat Sri Lanka. They got beaten by Ireland, but they sort of just held it together. It was quite great. The incredible uh, trivia question years to come. The year that uh, England won the T20 World Cup, what team did they lose to in the rounds? And it was Ireland. Yeah. You, you, you know, you sort of uh, never guess it, would you? But I, I agree 100% with your suggestion about the wickets crash. I mean, I reckon the wickets at Melbourne were magnificent uh, for this, uh, both the India-Pakistan first game and for mm. this final. They had the bounce. They had movement. Uh, fours actually meant something. Sixes actually mm. meant even more, whereas we're used to sort of, oh, well, will it be 200, 180, and people yep. donging the ball over the fence. Big grounds. Quick wickets with something in it uh, make T20 a far better spectacle. Oh, uh, you're 100% right. I, I just think that that uh, there was one shot uh, in about the 16th over that where Stokes found the boundary last night with a cover drive. Mm. And, OK, I only watched it on television, but you could hear the explosion of energy through the system. It was just great. You know, I loved it. Yeah, there was a Iftikhar, I think, and then he hit him uh, for six over the top of Babar over mid-on. But, uh, yeah, it was when mm. they were down to that five overs to get 40. And well, it was the... getting tight. It, it was, was getting, getting tight. tight. Yeah. Mm, mm. But, uh, but they... they uh, I, I like the way they got consultants in. You know, see, the thing is, like, they had an all-Australian coaching staff of Matt Mott, well done, Gold Coast boy, terrific, uh, David mm. Saker, and also Mike Hussey. And here's the thing. 
if you get consultants in, like Hussey and like Matthew Hayden for Pakistan, they don't owe their career to your team. So they're far more likely to speak up than a guy who's got a three-year deal who's trying to protect that, you know? Mm. Um, that's what I like about consultants. Ricky Ponting, when he goes into a team, he just tells them exactly what he thinks. And, and he, he, you know, they're so good. Fresh voices that, that are prepared to, you know, just, just straighten the team up a bit. Crash, uh, so what, what does Australia learn from this World Cup? Uh, I think Australia learns all of those things. Like, you know, really give... You, you need young... Uh, Australia's got a very old team, and you need, at times, you need young, fresh legs specialists. You know, a guy like Nathan Ellis, the crafty Tasmanian guy, who, uh, fast bowler, who's formerly from Sydney, of course, western suburbs, but, you know, he, he's a, t he's a good death bowler. You know, we didn't have a good death bowler. We picked all our test bowlers and everything, and they're, they're great, they're fine, but sometimes T20, you know, you, 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 you do need those guys who are designed for the game. And also, and this will sound like a weird thing, but I always love if a team's got a real raw-boned, hungry scrapper in it who's, out to prove himself he hasn't he, you know he's on the way up he's not there yet you know and, and he needs a breakthrough tournament like I, I'm, I'm seeing I don't see that player in the Australian team you know sometimes you just one guy's energy can ignite a team but I don't see that scrapper you know that that sort of I'm trying to think. Like David Warner was that man when he first came in about 14 years ago. You can just tell he was hungry and lean. Get out of my way. You know what I mean? Whereas this team's had a lot of success, and I sense a tad, a bit amount of. Eh, let's not call it softness, but call it contentment. Well, the interesting thing is, Crash. I wonder if uh, we were to take a lesson uh, from this World Cup is don't discount two coaches. I mean, uh, I think Australia's got to head that way. I mean, you just disqualify mm. too many talented people from the coaching pool if you appoint one coach because most of the good players aren't going to spend 11 months on the road again. They've had a career doing that. Well, Andrew McDonald initially said before he got the job that it should be two coaches. Then he then he he replaced Justin Langer and took over everything, and. Where I think it hurts is that Andrew's a very calm, <clears throat> relaxed sort of guy, but there's just a feeling in you're gliding along the treadmill. If you've got a new fresh voice comes in and he, and this is his World Cup, mm. this is his moment, this is his destiny, your new coach, and he bursts into the room and said, right, here's what we're doing. You know, like, in fact, the fact that you're keeping so many of the same players, I'd be overly convinced to go to a different coach mm. for a fresh voice, yeah, good you point. know? If, if the players were changing, I'd be, you know, I can understand keeping the coach, but when you've got the same... And, and I went to their training, the Australian team, Andrew, mm. at Border Field a few times, and I did sense that sense of glidingness, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. Of just sort of, they're just sort of, oh, yeah, we've played about 10 T20s in the lead-up to this World Cup. Yeah, we got another one and, you know, and just it was a sense of, of you know, where it's gliding into the tournament. There wasn't that sense of snap and crackle you so hope for in a home World Cup. If you were to split the cat coaches, Crash and Andrew, everyone seems to think it would be some guy looks after the white ball and some looks after chess cricket. Mm. Or could you just split it with one person just looking after T20, seeing that it's such a completely different format the other, and then Andrew McDonald, say, taking the ODI side and the test match team? Uh, no, I would much prefer just white ball because 
they change in priority. Like, Australia's not playing another T20 game until next August, um, and that's a long wait. But next year, it's the 50-over World Cup, so you've got a similar issue. So I'd reckon white ball and red ball for me, because one year, there'll be a stack of of T20s. The next year, there'll be a stack of 50-over games. So that's what I would do, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's right, because I suppose the issue is with T20 in particular, there's probably just not enough international games to justify having uh, the one match for it. Uh, um, But speaking of, you know, good white ball cricketers, uh, Glenn Maxwell, uh, this is a sort of uh, a serious injury, two or three months out crash. Couldn't believe it, could you? 50th birthday party, uh, went for a bit of a uh, run around on the the sort of, it was artificial turf at this, his former school teacher's place. Um, and they, they, I'm not sure whether they tackled each other or they just ran into each other, but Maxwell's leg became pinned under his, the, the man having the 50th birthday, they oh. become pinned under him and, and he broke his leg, had surgery and will be out for about three months. So I think that's the end of his test career. Um, he was going to play, they were looking at playing him in India in February. I doubt whether that'll happen now. And I have to say this, I don't feel he's earned a test match comeback. <laughs> like, well, he hasn't played red ball cricket for three years, you know? Well, the other like, issue, Crash, I reckon in white ball cricket, he's even looking more and more vulnerable to the short ball. I mean, yeah, he yeah. can hardly play it now because he just doesn't get to play it <laughs> enough. Uh, some, of the, yep. some of his batting uh, against the white ball in this World Cup was uh, shabby. Yeah, yeah, he, he was... I actually think, you know, he hasn't done... You know, what's Glenn Maxwell's career-defining innings? You, you, you tell me. I mean, you know, he's threatened to do a lot of things, but has he actually done them? I don't know. Do you think he has? Well, there's no Stokes-type um, innings there, is there? No, no. It, it, Glimpses it's, of brilliance, and that's about well, it. Well, it's just that that we were looking for that Stokes-type innings. You, you know, that, that sort of, that was my World Cup. That was my... But, yeah, I, I get it, all the fancy ramp shots and everything like that. But sometimes you need meat and potatoes. It can't always be Pavlova. And, and I think he forgets that sometimes. And he can bat that way. Glenn Maxwell's first-class average is around about 40 or just beneath it. He, he can bat. He, he, he can play the solid game. And I'm not, but I just feel that there was a chance during the World Cup, I'm not sure whether this came out, but he was going to be, they were really looking closely at dropping him mm. for Steve Smith. No question about that. That would have been a big story. Mm. Crash, uh, what are play, the players saying, Aussie players saying behind the scenes now about Justin Langer? Is there any, any sort of yeah. relationship between any of them and Justin? Uh, no, I think um, obviously with the older players, uh, with them fading out of the World Cup, the older players are suggesting they ma- miss Langer's hardness, and that uh, creates a collective eye roll from the players. And they're saying privately, "Oh, you know, fancy it coming back to Justin Langer. Justin actually had nothing to do with this in his last season. He was basically, you know, uh, unattached to the team. And Andrew McDonald was running it when we were winning all those games. So it goes back and it goes forward. But it, I, I think that." They, when they read stories that, that, that they miss Langer's hardness and Andrew McDonald is too familiar with them, they say, oh, that's rubbish. But Andrew McDonald is familiar with them. Langer was hard, you know? So, you know, you, when you, when you fade out of a World Cup in your homeland and you do not make the semi-finals, you have to expect to be criticised.
Yeah, I think that's right. Well, that's the uh, Cricket World Cup done and dusted uh, crash. Rugby League World Cup, uh, an epic encounter between uh, the Kangaroos and New Zealand. Were we just a trifle fortunate to get over the line or proper oh, result? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, so. yeah. Weren't we ever? <laughs> I, I mean, that ball, I'm sure he'll regret it for life, Jerome Hughes, uh, putting a grubber in for the corner on the first tackle. And Josh Adokar just failed to get it down. And there was a marginal offside play where I, for a try, which would have put New Zealand probably eight points clear. And they, the referee called it back saying that you've got to have two feet behind the man mm-hmm. kicking the ball. I always thought it was one. And mm-hmm. it should be one. It mm-hmm. should be one. But, um, but anyway, um, but no, they were, they, they were lucky to get through. But now that they're through, I think they'll probably win it. You know, they, they, they often say, um, you know, in uh, the, the preliminary finals and semi-finals are harder to win than the, than the final itself, yeah. and, and and that was certainly the case. I just sensed New Zealand were were going to be just supercharged for that game, and they were. They were out on their feet near the end, but they were they've done it so many times to Australia, haven't they? Like be sleepy throughout a tournament and then go bang, and, and it was just going to be an epic game, and it was. How would you rate the uh, the Royal Cup up to date crash successful? The uh, the Cricket World Cup or the Rugby League World Rugby Cup? Rugby League. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's come to life at the right time with three or four really close games. I mean, uh, Tonga Samoa last week was terrific. Uh, England uh, and the field goal by Samoa to get through to the final was terrific game. Two great semis. And, and I think that that... Now we're at the business end of the tournament. It needed it. It really did. It needed both of those games to be tight and dogged and tough. And they, and they were. So all things considered, I felt it's gone for too long. Mm. I felt there was too many emerging nations in it. But, you know, you're trying to grow the game, aren't you? So uh, it, I, it, it seems to have worked. Well, we were saying earlier, Crash, uh, Paul's worst nightmare, a Jerome Luai Samoa World Cup victory uh, could be too much for him to bear. There'll be more of the Penrith yeah. celebrations. Is there a prospect of it, or do you think now we've won the tough one, we'll kick away in the uh, final? I, I think they will. It's, it's, you know, Jerome Luai is an interesting guy. Um, several of our reporters at the court, he always looks like a guy full of himself to me and a bit of a niggler. And I put that to several of our journalists from the Courier Mail and they both said, mate, no, no, he's, he's a, they said, you'd be surprised when to meet him. They said, hi, I'm Jerome, quite humble and unassuming. They said, he does have this, this, uh, aura about him, you know, when he's celebrating that he looks like the original, you know, guy that's, you know, quite uh, comfortable with who he is but they said he, he's actually a really nice guy so I think of that when I see him play now because I'm looking for that nice person because quite frankly he always used to get under my skin. There you go Paul <laughs> uh, Thank you Crash, I, I appreciate you telling you he gets under your skin Crash, um, we have a tier 2 nation into the final of Rugby League's World Cup in Samoa what will that mean going forward for state of origin eligibility rules? It's a, such a good point. And I was thinking that only last night because, you know, uh, they, these players like, uh, you know, Jason Tamalolo is from Tonga. You know, they, a lot of them, you know, want to play, uh, state of origin football. And of course, Luai can. And uh, Paul, I, I think, do you feel they should be eligible to play state of origin football? I mean, the, the, it goes back and forth, this argument. People love the purity of the, the state of origin system, but it was a lot of the rules were invented many years ago before the Polynesian explosion through the system. 
think one thing's definite. Those lads that have played for Samoa at the World Cup should not be playing test football for Australia again. I think that's, mm. they're allowed to do so, but I don't think Mal Meninga should be selecting any of them. And I'm not being derogatory toward them, mm. but they've chosen Samoa. Uh, uh, what it means for state of origin, well, that's another debate, but I don't think they should be coming back to play for Australia. Anyway. Well, uh, uh, see, I don't overly like a bloke playing for state of origin and not being eligible for Australia. Mm. You know, it, it's just, it's got an awkward feel to me, you know? Like, it's just, that to me is diluting your product a bit, mm. you know? But you've got to, just the changing nature of the competition. Is it 50% now of the players in the NRL have, um, uh, from, you know, the South Pacific Islands? It, it's somewhere around that, isn't it? You it, know? it is getting close to that crash, but as, as Andrew and I said a couple of times, used to be state of origin was basically a trial in yep. some way for a test match jumper. You're playing the opposition guy, and if you get over the top of yeah. him, the, the ultimate you know, carrot at the yep. end of it all is is a kangaroo's jumper. Um, yeah. I, I just think, look, seriously, they're not a tier two nation, Andrew. No, not that too. Mm. Not, not how they're playing their footy, and I, I don't think they can come back. And I think moving forward, no, I, I, I don't think they can. I think... Now, when you sign your contract, you've got to say whether you're Queensland or New South Wales and are you available for Australia. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, do you know what, Paul? I, I think it would uh, hurt Queensland more than New South Wales because I, I just think for Queensland, there's a passion. There, there has That's been part of the narrative, hasn't it? You know, we're, we're, we're gritty Queenslanders. We want to play for Queensland and Australia and all that. If you're picking a guy... I mean, you've always, Queensland have always been the underdogs and have tried to nut it out. If, if you're saying, yeah, I'll play for Queensland, but not Australia, I mean, goodness me, that, that sort of, you know, it just, it's just got a incongruous feel to it. Maybe not for New South Wales, though. That they've had, you know, uh, you know, Luai, for instance, you know, he, he plays for New South Wales and, and Samoa, and I, they don't seem to get in the road. But I just think the whole Queensland culture is against it. Well, yeah. It's a, there's a lot to work out with that one. Crash, sadly, out of time. We'll catch up with you next week. Can't wait. See you then, guys. Bye. There he is, Robert Crash Craddock.